I got booed the first service for not singing. How many people were here last week? Okay, all right. I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you came back. Uh, if you came back for the song, I'll do it in the Connection Center after. How about that? Let's do it that way. I will put the sweater on because I like to do things 80% of the way. If you were here last week, you saw that when I put the sweater on, I did not button it right because apparently I don't know how to put clothes on. So let me focus and make sure I got this right. Let me also, I didn't do this in the first service, but I want to um, just be selfish for a second. <clears throat> Tomorrow, uh, a team of about 12 people from Draw are going to be going to the Bahamas uh, to continue our work after Hurricane Dorian there. And um, we are flying to Florida. We're on a ferry. We have to get over to the Bahamas. And then we have to drive across the island, get on a boat. It's uh, quite the journey. So um, if you're the praying type this week, if you can just pray for our team. Uh, we're going to continue the cleanup there and uh, try to help those people, fishermen and all that, uh, get back on their feet. And so just pray for our team. That's all. That's that, That's the selfish part of me. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, the, this part takes me a while. Apparently, I don't know how to tie my shoes very well. So um, if you give me one second. If you were here last week and uh, in the weeks past, you know that we're in the middle of this series called Won't You Be My Neighbor. I wrote it all myself. It's a completely individual creative idea that I did not steal anything from anybody from. And uh, it started the week before New Year's Eve. We started to look at uh, the story of the expert in the law who came to Jesus. And he said, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, what do you think? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's right. And the expert in the law wanted to justify himself, justify his own actions, justify his own thoughts. He didn't care about what the answer was. He just wanted to justify himself. So he said, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan and essentially answers by saying, <clears throat> it doesn't matter who your neighbor is, it matters what kind of neighbor you're being. And then last week, we looked at the story that uh, Jesus told about uh, the end of days where people will be before God. And God will say, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. <clears throat> when I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you tended to me. And when I was a prisoner, you came and visited me. <coughs> and the people said, uh, when did we see you like that? And the, the term that we got into was, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And we talked about how the term least of these could be different for different people. You may not have a problem with different groups, but your person who's the least of these to you might be a coworker, it might be a family member, it may be somebody that's right next door to you. It might be a subgroup, it might be someone um, that is part of a, a group that's divided up by political affiliation, sexual orientation, ethnicity, religion, what, <clears throat> whatever it might be, you might have taken that group, labeled them, written them off, and rather than love them, you just prefer them not be around. And so we said, whatever your least of these is, uh, that's how we are treating God because everyone is created in his image and everyone is valuable in his sight. And so uh, last week was a, a tense one. If you, if, uh, if you were here, you remember it being tense. And I just wanted to say to the congregation, um, thank you. There was a lot of you who reached out to me outside after uh, the service was over 
to not only affirm that we are a church that's about the least of these, but that uh, you were excited to study how God might lead us in a way where we would serve, where we would love our neighbor, no matter where the neighbor lives or what they look like or where they're from. And so I was very encouraged all of last week uh, and excited for the next three weeks because it seems like we're all in a good place. We're in a, the right place and, and, and we're going to the next spot. Excuse me. And so today we will uh, take a look at two stories, one, one New Testament, one Old Testament. <coughs> and I think it gives us a little more uh, clarity in the how. How are we supposed to love our neighbor? So John chapter 3, the scripture is going to be up on the screen. If you have your Bible in front of you, you can open to John chapter 3. If you have your phones, you can open up in your phones. <clears throat> and I'll read this here. And this is a story that is about Jesus, but Jesus isn't actually in this story. This is John the Baptist. And for some context, the Jewish people have been waiting for a Messiah for some time. And John the Baptist comes and starts to declare that he's preparing the way for the Messiah. He's preparing the way for Jesus. And he, he um, performs signs and wonders that uh, kind of give him some validity. But the whole time he's saying, I'm preparing the way for the person that's coming after me. And even so, he still had disciples that followed him as he was the preparer of the way. So in John chapter 3, verse 26, it says, They came to John, they being John's disciples, and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him, almost like telling on Jesus. Like, hey, they're, they're going to him now. Well, what, the, what do you say about that? They're, they're leaving us. <laughs> and so John's, to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. Verse 29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. Verse 30 says, he must become greater and I must become less. Verse 31 says, the one who comes up, from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So we've got a lot to get to in this and then into the Old Testament story, but I wanted to address the elephant in the scripture. Okay. Um, in it, John is using a, uh, an analogy that is contextual and matches the society that he lives in in that time 2,000 years ago. In that time, it was, uh, it was the norm for arranged marriages and for families to marry off their daughters to, uh, other, uh, to, the, to the groom. And sometimes there may even be uh, an exchange of property or livestock or something uh, in return for uh, the, the daughter's hand in marriage. And so here it says uh, the bride belongs to the bridegroom and I don't think I could read that scripture and not address that without feeling like there's about a couple hundred female eyes looking at me like, are you not going to say anything or are we just going to pretend this isn't here? And so I want to affirm that the church of Jesus Christ believes that men and women are on the same playing field, that we, uh, we have male leaders and female leaders. Sure, male and female are different, but we are equal and we are leading the kingdom together. Okay, so there is no secondary status. Women, we affirm you. 
men, we affirm you. We are in this together, and we have moved on from a society 2,000 years ago where this analogy made sense. But reading this 2,000 years later, I feel like I needed to at least address the elephant in John chapter 3. Good? Okay, good. I, I didn't want to be in the car later on with like my wife and a couple female co-workers just staring at me like, really, you're not going to say anything? So I said it. This is We are equal. We are on the same playing field. All right, we're good. All right. So in that scripture, John is talking about the fact that Jesus is the one he's preparing the way for. And in it is this uh, famous quote, this quote that you may find on uh, Christian art. That is a nameplate. It's a boilerplate. You put it up places. He must become greater and I must become less. Other uh, uh, translations like the English Standard Version say he must increase and I must decrease, which is poetic and beautiful. But also, well, how is that supposed to work? He must increase and I must decrease. It's a, it's a conceptual thought, but how is that actually supposed to happen? When John the Baptist says that Jesus must increase and I must decrease, where, where are we going with this? Let me put a pin in that for one second. There's a second story that happens in the book of Isaiah. If you're not that familiar with, with the Bible, I want to lay out why Isaiah is, is so interesting to me personally. The Bible itself is an anthology of 66 books. The Old Testament has 39, and the Old New Testament has 27. Of the 39 in the Old Testament, 17 are written by prophets. In those days, God would uh, use prophets, designate people who would be his mouthpieces to his people to give them visions analogies and direction of what God wanted for them. And so there are 17 prophets who wrote books in the Old Testament. Isaiah is one of those prophets. And in Isaiah, what's interesting is Isaiah has 66 chapters. And in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament is about judgment and law and, and, and specific guidelines. The New Testament is basically about a new covenant and forgiveness and grace. In Isaiah, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are about law and, and judgment, and the last 27 are about forgiveness and grace. Isaiah is this microcosm of a macrocosm within Scripture where it's broken down, which is very interesting to me. And in chapter 6 of Isaiah, he's explaining a vision he's having where uh, God is sitting on the throne. He's got this long robe, and he's surrounded by angels. And in verse 3, it says that the angels proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. All of the earth is filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The Hebrew word for the word holy in that scripture is kadosh, which is just a beautiful sounding Hebrew word. Say it with me, kadosh. Kadosh is translated holy. But it's also uh, translated, or the root of it is translated uh, separate or distinct. You see, holy in the Hebrew scriptures is a little different than holy in the Greek scriptures. Holy in the Hebrew scriptures uh, assumes or insinuates that it has places to go, whereas holy in the New Testament almost is like a perfection, like it's good, it's done. And so in the Old Testament, Holy has some room and places to go. And I use, always used to think that holiness 
was something I was measured by. Like if there was a rating, a scale of 1 to 10, and God being the most holiest at 10, maybe I was a negative 1, maybe I was a negative 4, maybe on a good day I'm a 3, right? Like I, I'm, I'm striving to be more holy, and, and I would think of it almost hier- hierarchical, that there's a scale that I'm graded on for my holiness. But in uh, Leviticus chapter 19, so right dead center in the Torah, there is this uh, holiness covenant. Where at the beginning, uh, Leviticus, uh, these are the laws laid out for the Israeli people, uh, the Israeli nation. And it says, uh, it says, be holy as I am holy. Well, how is that supposed to be? God is telling his people, be like me, but you're God. I can't be you. So like you can put this, if that's the way you think of holiness, you will always fall short, which is why we need God's grace. But I think there's something extra to it because Kadosh, in, at its root, has this insinuation that it's separate or distinct. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel will discuss uh, Shabbat or Sabbath in the practice where you work six days and you take that seventh day as a Sabbath. And he calls it a cathedral in time. Essentially, a specific place in time that is designated for a different type of of living. It's a rhythm. We work, we work, we work, and then on the Sabbath, we rest, and we get a different view from what we normally do. You see, today, 2020, here in Michigan or in the United States or just in the world, we have so much, and every day bleeds into another with its uh, constant demands, and we're always connected, and some of you today will leave here and you've got a laundry list of things you have to do. I have to go pick up this and I got to drop this off. I got to finish this at the house. And then I got these other three things I got to get ready for tomorrow. And it all bleeds into each other. And if someone, this happens to me all the time, someone says, So what'd you do on Monday night? I'd be like, What was Monday? And I have to sit there for five minutes because it all just bleeds into each other. So in Jewish practice, Shabbat is meant to be this distinction, this intentionality where they set aside a a separate place, a separate viewpoint of their life and of the world. The other six days, you're doing your work, you're doing your life, but that seventh day, Shabbat, is meant to be distinct, separate, intentional. And so when you get a different view on things, who you are and how you live starts to change. Kadosh. Kadosh, Kadosh. In synagogue, when I visited synagogue before, they have their um, their prayer book that is uh, poetry woven together with scripture, and they have practices that they do. And every synagogue that I've ever uh, attended, there is a tart, uh, time of prayer where when they're going through this prayer book together, they recite together, Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. But what's interesting, and I didn't catch it, the first couple times I went to synagogue. But when they, in most places when they practice this, when they say kadosh, they stand on their tiptoes. So it's kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. And it's like you don't really notice it because how much of a difference was that really, right? It was an inch. And so after a while I started to go, what's going on here? And so I uh, asked one of my Jewish friends, I'm like, why are they doing that? And he described to me, he said, well, 
people uh, will get on their tiptoes because um, part of Kadosh is separating yourself or distinguishing a time or space so that you have a little bit of a different view. I'll put it this way. I'm a, I'm a wedding DJ. A lot of you guys know this. And uh, if I'm DJing a wedding, which is always a great party, by the way, if I'm the DJ, just kidding. Um, sometimes I'm hired to be at the ceremony. When I'm at the ceremony, I like to set my speaker up in the back of the room and I like to control it from there. I'll have a wireless mic up front, but I don't want any of like these people's wedding day photos to include my dumb face or my dumb gear. So I try to stay out of the way as much as possible. And the, ahead of time, the bride and groom will give me the songs that I have to play when people are coming down the aisle. The one problem with that is that when the bride comes down the aisle, what happens? Everybody stands up. And I'm supposed to fade the music out when the bride gets to the front. But I'm 5'7". Okay? And so what I, the thing I don't want to do is like I'm behind people. I, I don't want to like peek around the aisle to see if it's good because then, then I get a picture snapped of me doing this, like dumb look and dumb face. And so I'm on my toes. Sometimes I even stand up on something so that I can get a different view of what's happening. And if I get a different view, then I have better direction of what I'm supposed to do and when I'm supposed to do it. When we change, when we are intentionally change our point of view on our life and on the world, it changes how we interact the rest of the time. Are we following? So kadosh, having moments of kadosh, of holiness, allow us to have a new view on how God might want us to live or what he wants us to care about. And that's what Shabbat is supposed to be. That's what Sabbath is supposed to be, but once a week, I don't think is quite enough. Once a week is a reminder, but then I get back in. At least for me, I get back into my world and it's just like head down, full blown ahead. I just got to finish stuff. And many of you, like me, I experienced this where it's like I get up and I go and I've got this list and I've got people to call and then I've got demands on me. And then this thing throws a monkey wrench in it. So I got to drive there now and I got to figure this thing out. And by the time I get home and my head is on the pillow, I pass out. I'm just trying to plow through with my day. And never once in that day am I going, you know, I should probably take I should uh, a, an intentional moment to separate from this morass that I'm in. Because maybe if I could see things from a different point of view or even close to God's point of view, I might act differently when I'm down in the morass. Make sense? There's a story in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus has called the disciples to follow him and they've seen him do signs and wonders, but you know, they're, they're, that's the extent of what they've seen. And in Matthew 16, Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go on the top of a mountain and they experience this thing called the transfiguration. And in the transfiguration, the three disciples see Jesus for who he is, truly God. And the description that happens in Matthew 16 is incredible. That is that Jesus' face shone in this, in this most incredible way and that Moses appeared and, and, and there was a discussion between all of them. And the disciples are on the top of this mountain and they are blown away. And Peter says, this is holy ground. This is kadosh. This is something I've never seen before. And what does Peter say? Let's make camp here. Let's build tents here. Let's live here. This was something I've never experienced before, and I want to live in it. And Jesus says, no, life is not lived on the mountaintop. 
this is a point of view that's different from your normal life, but your normal life is your normal life. And so this is just a moment that hopefully when you get a different point of view, it changes how you live for the rest of it. When we have moments of kadosh, when we intentionally distinguish a time and say, this is a time where I'm going to separate. That time spent with God is time where God can form our hearts and help us care about the things that he wants us to care about. And so these moments of kadosh should change us. And we need to find these moments of kadosh, of distinction, of intentionality, of separation. Because when our hearts are changed, our worlds are changed. Let me give an example of this. Brian Peterson is an artist who lives out in Southern California. And if you're familiar with Los Angeles, Los Angeles has had a growing and massive and disturbing uh, homeless population, a homeless problem all around their streets. And if you know anybody that lives in Los Angeles or you've been there, you may have even driven by some of this. But what's interesting about Los Angeles is there's this cognitive dissonance about the homeless problem there because everyone is in transit. If you live in Southern California or around Los Angeles, you get in your car and you're drive, it's, you got a 15-mile drive, it's like an hour and 10-minute commute. People must love their cars out there or hate them, one of the two, right? And that's where they're going. And so they see the homeless population that's growing on different streets, but they see it from behind glass. It's almost like a museum, a museum of a homeless issue that's happening in Los Angeles. And so there is this separation. Anytime there's glass between you and something, there's a separation that causes a cognitive dissonance, whether it's the window in your car or the glass in the front of your phone or the glass in the front of your television set that you're watching. There is a separation, and it's not until you remove that separation where the humanity kicks in and you're like, oh, I'm connected. And so there's a disconnect there. Well, Brian uh, Peterson uh, is this artist who decided he wanted to do something about it, and he decided he would start taking some of the people who were homeless and and painting a portrait of their face. And then he went online and he started to sell his portraits. And when he sold them online in auctions, that money that came in, he would then put toward a fund that would help serve the needs of that homeless population that are there in Los Angeles. And so Brian is spending a significant amount of his time amongst the people that are homeless in Los Angeles. And he spoke at a conference here in Michigan uh, not uh, not too long ago. And when someone asked him, you know, why he does what he does or you know, it's how it, how it all came about. He said, you know, everything, a switch flipped for me. Everything changed when I went from wanting to help the homeless to loving the homeless. Do you see the difference? He said, everything changed for me when I went from, hey, I just want to help the homeless. And he switched it to like, now I love the homeless. And so because he loves the homeless, He's doing everything he can. He's, he's spending as much time as he can to make sure that he's there to help them. Think about that difference. Think about the people in your life that you love and how different you treat them versus the other people in your life that you're like, I just want to help them. Like the people I know in my life that I love, I would throw my body in front of a bullet. I would do whatever it takes to make sure that the needs that they have are met, that uh, they know that I love them, not just on a, here's some stuff for you, but also my time, all the love languages. I, I throw myself into that. 
and just wanting to help someone while it's a good thing is not the same thing as love. The greatest commandment was not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and help your neighbor out. That is not what scripture says. God was very clear. Jesus is very clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love looks different. Love gets messy. Love does what it takes. And for us, we can't change ourselves from the outside. I can't make myself care. I, I want to be more holy. I want to live the right way. I'm going I'm to force it. What has to happen is I need to be molded from the inside. And the only way that's going to happen is if I create moments of distinction, of separation, of intentionality, of kadosh where I can pull away from the morass of my life and see God's world the way he sees it. See God's plan for my life the way he sees it. See the people that are hurting the way he sees it. See my neighbor the way he sees them. When I do that, then our world has changed. Then holiness is lived out. And so today I'm going to put out a little challenge. You were saying, you're saying, Greg, you spent a lot of time talking about this word kadosh. Isn't this, won't you be my neighbor? What are we doing here? Well, I would say that when you practice things, they work themselves out in your lives. And if you know this about me, I'm a huge NBA fan. In fact, I'm a huge Detroit Pistons fan, which has been a bummer for about 11 years. Let's be honest. They've struggled. But every time there was a moment of hope, every time there was a player on our team that had signs that they might be the next star, I would grab onto them and I'd be like, they are going to be it, man. This is our guy. In uh, early 2000s, the Pistons uh, drafted a young man from Georgia uh, named Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Contavious Caldwell-Pope was the, uh, the specimen of a shooting guard in the NBA. He was athletic. He could defend. He could shoot. Couldn't pass that well, but he was, he was good at a lot of things. And he was going to be the next Pistons' great backcourt mate, right? And he he came into the league, and he played a lot in his first year. And from three-point range, he shot 32% his first year, which is below average in the NBA. And so that year, there was a number of stories coming out from local media about how Contavious Caldwell-Pope was going to improve his jump shot and be a better three-point shooter, which would make the Pistons a better team. And there was reports that Contavious Caldwell-Pope was making was taking 1,000 three-point shots every day over the summer for three months to improve his shot so that he could make his team better. 1,000 three-point shots a day for three months. The next season, he started, he played a lot, and from three-point range, he shot 34.5%. He got 2.5% better, and that's with 90,000 practice shots over the summer. I used to play basketball a little bit. I haven't played in a while. If I practiced my three-point shot a couple times three months ago, and then I went to the team, and I'm like, guys, put me in. And there's a game, and it's down to the final shot, and the coach is drawing up a play. I'm like, hey, I'll take the shot. I've, I've, I practiced before. The coach would be like, yeah, Greg, first of all, you're 5'7", okay? And uh, you look like you're little, you've got the vertical leap of like, a ream of paper, okay? And so maybe we, you sit this one out. Our practice is what makes us who we are in the everyday nitty-gritty. 
And so if our practices aren't happening spiritually, if we're not practicing experiences that are intentionally for Kadosh, God isn't forming us as much as he would want to. So we have a challenge for you today to go along with the won't you be my neighbor. We want God to change us from the inside. And so this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday in the traditional Orthodox church calendar is the first day of the Lent, the Lenten season, which is not including Sundays, 40 days until Easter Sunday. And so most of you are familiar with Lent. A lot of people for Lent will do things like give up chocolate or give up coffee, God forbid, or give up TV, whatever they're going to do uh, so that they, they can try to relate with Jesus who gave up everything. It's like a, this practice of sacrifice and self-discipline. We have another idea this year. For Lent, uh, as I was putting this sermon together, I had all I had this paper where I had this scripture and that scripture. I'm like, oh, maybe I use this one. Maybe use this one. And it all had to do with loving uh, our neighbor or stories about how Jesus would love the neighbor or Old Testament uh, guidance or whatever it was. And then I would write it, write down little prayers as I was putting the sermon together. And all of a sudden I looked at the sheet and I had like 34 like scriptures or prayers. And when I finished out, I had 40. And the prayers are not these long. I mean, I know you think my sermons are long. The, the prayers are like a sentence, a sentence and a half. And so what we'll do is we will have uh, Lent reflections every day. Starting Wednesday, every day of Lent, leading up until Easter. And all the scriptures have to do with uh, guidance of how uh, we can live in this world. And so my challenge to you is, would you this Lent set aside time, create moments of Kadosh every day where you can just get a different point of view just for a couple minutes before you go back into the morass of your everyday life? And in those, let's see if God can start to shape us. Now, this, uh, the prayers are ones like, Lord, teach me to be more compassionate or something of that nature. You may take that prayer and just pray it and be done. You may take that and go, all right, where do I need to be compassionate? And you may start to list things or think things, and that prayer might get a lot longer because you're applying it to your own particular circumstance. There may be a scripture where you read and you're like, that's good. Okay, I'm on board with that. Or you may read the scripture and go, well, maybe I can apply this to this person that is one of my least of these and start to love my neighbor a little bit better. I talked about with some people doing a meditation and they said, Greg, not everybody meditates like you do. And I, I get it. Meditation doesn't have to be crisscross applesauce in your arms and um, it doesn't have to be that. Meditation could just be reading it over and over and seeing where it connects in your soul, in your mind, in your heart. But what we'll invite you to do is on the screen, we'll put up a phone number and I'm going to give you Permission to use your phones in church, okay? But if you would like to receive the Lent reflections for the next 40 days on being, uh, creating moments of kadosh and asking God to uh, start to form your heart and guide you, taking those moments where you're intentionally stepping away, even if it's just for a minute or two, to reflect. If you want to text the word Lent to the word on the screen or the number on the screen 2489160124 we'll put you on a list and we will send you those daily reflections and i encourage you to allow yourself to step away from a second don't try to do it while you're eating and talking to someone else with the tv on in the background actually 
distinguish, separate, and intentionally create a moment or two to reflect. And if you do that, I think God will start to take his word and form our hearts. And in that, we will become better neighbors. In that, we will learn and think about loving our neighbors in a much different way. Now, I want to say this one thing that I thought before first service, and if this is inappropriate, I'll, I'll go ahead and apologize now. But guys, I talk to a lot of females about their prayer times, their meditation times, their times of mindfulness. I don't hear a bunch of dudes talking about their time where they pray or their time where they're reading or the time where they meditate. So fellas, I'm going to put the word out and say I am challenging you to this strongly. Because I know me, and I'm, I'm wired in a way where I'm like, I don't have time for another thing. This isn't another thing. This is a separate thing. Kadosh is separate. It's different. I want everybody to be involved, but fellas, I'm throwing the gauntlet down because I think all of us can take these moments of Kadosh and let God start to change our hearts. And if we do that, if we set those times apart, then I think what we will see in the words of John the Baptist is that he will become greater and I will become less. That Jesus will increase in my everyday life and I will decrease. And loving our neighbor will become transformational, not just community, but in our world. Let's pray. God, today we want to care about what you care about. We want to go where you're leading us. We want to live how you would want us to live. And so, Lord, if you are holy, if you are kadosh, help us to have moments of kadosh with you. And change our hearts. May we love our neighbor because we've experienced the transformational love that you've given to us. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Let me end with this. This week, may you experience moments of kadosh. Kadosh. And may your world be transformed because of it. Go in peace.